Welcome to Passport Mommy. I'm your host, Michelle Gerson. This show is for anyone raising little humans. We feature experts with tips and advice to enrich the lives of our children. Mom and dad entrepreneurs tell us their inspiring stories. Learn about products that could make both you and your child's life easier and more fun. And of course, fellow parents discuss and laugh about what's happening in their child's world. Motherhood is a journey. Thanks for joining me on mine. Welcome to Passport Mommy. I'm Michelle Gerson. So, you know, I think as somebody who is in her mid 40s with two young kids, I'm always torn. I still am torn between whether I should be living this city life where I used to live in New York City or the suburban rural life. And I had moved two years ago to a place that was, I would say more suburban than rural, but the next town over I'd say is pretty rural. And even right now I am struggling with this of deciding whether to move back to a very small apartment in the city versus getting a beautiful home in the woods where I live now. And so today I'm so happy to have with me Eric Osberg. He is the Rural Rebound Initiative Coordinator for Otter Tail County. And he's going to talk to us about what the rural life is in Minnesota and just in general and why people our age are choosing to live more of a rural life. Eric, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Absolutely. So tell me, tell us about the new docu-series, Rural by Choice. So Rural by Choice is a seven-part video series that we created to explore the, the rural lifestyle through the eyes of somebody who grew up in a rural place and then moved away. And now, just as you refer, were referring to, they're in their 40s and they have kids and they, they do live the suburban life now. And, and now they're looking at the, 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 the place that they grew up through a different perspective, right? Now they've got the kids and they've got, mm-hmm. they've been, they've been running the hustle and bustle life for a while. And, and so the video series is, is all about that. His, him exploring his roots and talking with folks about why they choose to live a rural life and, 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 and what it's like. It, the other thing is, that I that I hope that the video series explores is the 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 mis I don't I don't know if misconceptions is the right word but but we have stereotypes right we we have a stereotype of what a rural life is we have stereotypes of what an urban life is and it's an invitation to to try to look beyond those stereotypes and and to really just get to know people for who they are. Right. Exactly. Because I will say, even with talking with my friends now, obviously the ones that are still in the city, they hate the suburbs and they can't ever imagine going to the suburbs. And, and then vice versa, I tell my suburban friends, I'm thinking about going back to the city and they think I'm nuts. And, and I could see both sides to having the positives. Yeah. And it especially changes, you know, and, and this, the reason my job title is called Rural Rebound Initiative Coordinator is there's research that suggests that when people reach the age of 30, you know, the age group of 30 to 49, um, there's, an, there's a net gain of that population in rural places. And, and the number one reason that, that people cite is, is a simpler pace of life. That's really what they're looking for is just a simpler pace of life. And so for some folks, a simpler pace of life isn't desirable, right? Like they don't want right. it. And so, and, and that's okay. Um, 
but yeah, so the series and the, the fun thing about the video series is in all honesty, we didn't know what we were doing when we started. We just started filming stuff and our, our host, Corey Heppola, did a, just a wonderful job of, of, of finding his voice. It took him a while in the production of the video series to, to really find a true authentic voice. And, and, um, he, and where we ended up was, 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 I couldn't be, I couldn't be happier or, or dare I say prouder of where we ended up with the finished product. It's visually, visually it's, it's stunning. And, and, uh, and again, Corey did a really good job of, 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 uh, presenting a both sides, if you will, of, of the dilemma. Yeah, exactly. So tell me a little bit about Otter Tail County. So our claim to fame is we have more lakes than any other county in the United States. So Ottertail wow. County, Otter County, Minnesota has 1,048 lakes. Wow. And to, yeah, and to put that into perspective, 1,048 sounds like a lot, but to put that in perspective, if you visited a new lake once a week, it would take you 20 years to see them all. So I, I fish a lot. I spend a lot of time on water, and I've been on about 38 of those 1,048 lakes. So I still have a thousand to go. So it's, it's, oh a my gosh. Magical, it's a pretty magical place. That sounds wonderful to me because where we are now, one of the things I like is there are a few lakes and the option to go kayaking and all kinds of great activities on the lake. I mean, that really increases your quality of life too, I feel. Absolutely. And that's another reason people cite when they choose a rural lifestyle is, is access to outdoor recreation. And, and, you know, along with those 1,048 lakes, we've got rivers, we've got streams, we've got woods, we've got trails. So whether you're into hiking, biking, paddling, boating, fishing, golfing, you know, whatever it is, and, and it's, it, you know, it, it, we're a tourist destination for, for many folks. And, and so the, the idea is why not set up a life you don't feel a need to escape from, right? Like you could go fishing on a Tuesday or biking on it. You know, you can do these things other places too. Right. But, but it, it, you know, rather than trying to fit it all in during a one week vacation or a two week vacation, it just kind of becomes part of your daily routine. I've, I've gone fishing before work, right? Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Instead of being stuck in traffic, I've gone fishing and I still made it to work on time. So it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, for, for those that like an outdoors experience, it, it is, a, it is a good lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've definitely, uh, you're swaying me now. And so, I mean, we just talked about the quality of life being different from bigger cities. What would you say are the main differences? I mean, obviously, like you just said, you have all the recreation at your fingertips. What else? Well, there's an old saying that it takes a village to raise a child, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, my kids go to a, you know, they go to a school. I know their teachers. And, and it's not just I know them because they're, they're teachers. You know, we hang out socially, right? Like, like the, there's, there's, a, there's a community that, that kind of wraps around, the, especially the school system. You know, so the school systems are top notch. The teachers are top notch, and and you feel like you're a, you're a part of a community, mm -hmm. um, and and so that's one of the advantages. The other advantage, I guess, is um, we still have the things that 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 people like about metropolitan areas. We have a booming art. Now you you don't think of culture and art a lot of the times when you think about rural places, 
but Fergus Falls, Minnesota, is a is a mecca for for artists. Uh, there's you know there's a, a a community called New York Mills, a very small community, thousand people, but they they pride themselves on the the, the words they use as celebrating the local with a window to the world, and they use art to do that. And so you can still live that eclectic if, if an eclectic lifestyle is what you're after you can still have that in a rural place uh the other advantages is there's ton, i mean not that there's not tons of jobs everywhere right now but we've got a ton of industry we've got a ton of jobs available and they're good paying jobs you can be a doctor a lawyer a professor you know or you can work on a construction crew you know whatever mm-hmm. whatever, whatever your heart desires we it's any job you can get in a, in a metropolitan area, you can get it here. So, um, it, and it, it, you know, it, it's a combination of all those things. A lot of times life is about balance. It's about balancing work. It's about balancing home. It's about balancing the, 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 the child, you know, rearing, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is just a really good place to find that balance. Yeah. Wow. I, you're making me want to move out there. <laughs> It really sounds beautiful. And so tell me quickly, what is the Rural Rebound Initiative? So I was hired about five years ago. And as I mentioned, there's research and it's by the University of Minnesota. There's a guy by the name of Ben Winchester. And he discovered or, uh, uh, you know, unveiled this phenomenon of, you know, the the, the old narrative is rural is dead or rural is dying. And what are we going to do and all that stuff? And Ben said, wait a minute you guys have a net gain of 30 to 49 year olds. Yes. Your, your total population might be declining, but that's because people are having less kids or people are moving on, you know, to the afterlife. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the rural rebound initiative was just really trying to capture that organically happening phenomenon. Um, and, and, and what we've decided to do with the rural rebound initiative is just write our own narrative. And that's where this video series comes into play is this is, um, Obviously, we're a little bit biased, right? Like we're trying to convince people that this is the place. Right. But but it's um it's really about just writing our own narrative and of what rural life can be and 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 really is. And uh, what we're finding is that uh, not what everybody thinks it is all the time. Um, and there's a there's a lot of good reasons to to make a rural place your home. Yeah, absolutely. So where can we find more information on this? film and just on otter tail county well you could go to rural by choice otc.com that's rural by choice otc.com uh or you can go to ottertaillakescountry.com you can find us on twitter you can find us on instagram you can find us on facebook we're the our our motto is find your inner otter that's our slogan so uh if you see a, a Find Your Inner Otter logo anywhere on the social medias, that's us. And uh, we like to, again, write our own narrative and, and, and document the good things that are happening in rural places. Terrific. Eric Osberg, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. I definitely enjoyed speaking with you, and I look forward to checking out the film. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for having me on.
You're listening to Passport Mommy. I'm Michelle Jerson. And today in our health segment, we are going to be talking about affordable insulin and how we can get it. Because regardless of your insurance status, you shouldn't have to worry about getting the insulin that you need. And so I'm happy to have with me today, Andy Vicari. He is a senior director for diabetes for the U.S. insulin brand at Lilly Diabetes. Hi, Andy. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Michelle. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Great. So tell me a little bit about how many people in the U.S. are diagnosed with diabetes and why, obviously, the insulin is so important. Yeah, there's about 34 million Americans in the U.S. today that have diabetes. And for some of those, they need insulin. Roughly 7 million people in the U.S. need insulin today. So anything we can do to impact change or help them save money, there's a lot of people that can benefit. Yeah. And so what is Lilly doing to ensure that people who use its insulin can afford and access their prescription? There's really two major solutions that are really important. One is called the Lilly Insulin Value Program. And that is for an individual who either has no insurance or may have some form of insurance through an employer. And in that program, it is effectively a coupon. Someone can get access and ensures that they don't pay more than $35 for their monthly prescription of their Lilly insulin. And that's whether it's they're on five vials of insulin or 10 vials of insulin. So it doesn't matter how much they take. It just matters that we ensure that they get it for $35 or less a month. Now, by law, we can't help seniors with that. So it made the senior savings model very important. And that is a collaboration with the federal government that Lilly participates in. And any senior that is in a health plan that is in the senior savings model, they too have access to their Lilly insulin for $35 or less a month. So no matter what insurance coverage you have or if you have no insurance at all, there isn't anyone that should be having to pay more than $35 a month for their Lilly insulin. That's amazing. That is really incredible. So what steps do people need to take to enroll in a participating Medicare Part D senior savings model plan? or to download the $35 copay card? Yeah, the best thing they can do is go, there's two things really, there's insulinaffordability.com. And on that, they can access and be walked through how to get on a senior savings model plan if there's someone in Part D, or if they're that person that has some insurance or no insurance at all, they can download the coupon or use a QR code if they'd like and get immediate access to the $35 program. And then in addition to that, if they'd rather speak to somebody live, uh, we have a call center. So 833-808-1234, and that's Monday through Friday. That is staffed with very well-trained individuals that can help them, no matter their insurance scenario, get to the right solution. And there's translators on staff there. Mm -hmm. We don't want uh, language to be a barrier for anyone. So it doesn't matter uh, what their native tongue is, uh, we can help them. Great. And you recently announced that you'll be lowering the list price of insulin, the Lispro injection starting in January of 2022. Why was this an important action for Lilly to take? Really a couple of reasons. We know in this particular uh, product, Insulin Lispro, it is one of our most common insulins. And we've taken steps to further reduce that price. In fact, uh, it'll be effectively 70% less from January 1 of 2022 70% less than comparable insulin on the market. And we think that timing is really important, Michelle. You know, most people are in some form of a deductible plan, and January mm -hmm. 1 is when it all starts over, and they can face very high medical costs, very high prescription costs. And we didn't want insulin to be one of those things. So we're purposeful in that, 
and we want to make sure that people get a, a great out-of-pocket experience. Great. And in its first year, how successful was Lily's participation in the Medicare Part D senior savings model? We've seen, we've seen great uh, results of this. So we know, uh, take our most common insulin, it's called Humalog, that 7 out of 10 seniors pay $35 or less. Uh, we want that number to be 100%, which is why we do things like this and lots of advertising. Uh, but we've seen a nice impact there. Uh, we also know that the number of enrollees is likely going to go up by several million through efforts of folks like ourselves or the federal government just to raise awareness. You know, we're mm -hmm. doing something called the Learn, Act, Share campaign. We want to make sure people are aware of all these solutions. Right. That's great. And what other action is Lily taking to ensure that people just know about Lily's insulin affordability solutions and how they can access, uh, access their prescription for $35 a month? Because maybe there's a lot of people who need this that don't know about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I touched on the Learn Act Share campaign. I, we talked about the 800 number and then also insulinaffordability.com. But we do some forms of what I would, I guess, would describe as more traditional. So our CEO has been very vocal and had an open letter in major news publications across the, the U.S. We've done that a couple of times. We do advertise over social media or other uh, forms of the Internet just to try to get as many people on these solutions as we can. Since its addition as a permanent option in Lilly's suite of insulin affordability solutions, what impact has the Lilly Insulin Value Program had? Yeah, we know today that on average, uh, anyone on a Lilly Insulin, uh, they pay about $28 a month for their monthly prescription of Lilly Insulin. Uh, we also know that across our solutions, uh, about 20,000 people a month are accessing that. Mm -hmm. And even further, we've seen uh, over 100,000 prescriptions just on the Lilly Insulin Value Program that have gone through that. We want that number and all those numbers to, or at least the numbers of people participating to go higher, and that'll just help further decrease what that out-of-pocket cost is for people. Great. Well, thank you so much, Andy, for being here today. I really appreciate it. Again, for more information, you can go to insulinaffordability.com. Really great information. And you know what? It's something if you are not using insulin, you may have a friend or a family member who is. So you definitely want to pass along this information. I am so excited to bring you our next guest. She is a very special guest. She is going to talk about two subjects that many of us think about all the time, but I know a lot of us are too skittish to discuss. And those are death and sex. And our guests will talk about coping with death and recovering and then dating and getting back out there and the whole relationship journey. Because if you know anything about me, I used to host a relationship show and you know, now I'm in my room forties and, um, you know, I did a lot of dating. I did a lot of online dating, especially in Manhattan in my twenties and thirties. And I'm excited to have Susan on because she is out there and she is dating. She is dating after having suffered the loss. She is dating men who are in their fifties, sixties and older. And she brings a whole new perspective to the table. So I'm so happy to have her with me today. Her name is Susan Warner. She is an educator a wife, a mother. And like I said, unfortunately, she had suffered profound loss with the death of her son and her husband just six months apart from each other. The catastrophic loss was almost too much to bear, but she is here today and she's going to tell us how she got through it all and now how she's dating because Susan is suddenly single. Hi, Susan. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. That is such an... Um... 
awe-inspiring title. (laughs) A little frightening and a little exciting. Yes. Well, you are an exciting woman. You have a lot going on and you're really very motivational. You have quite the story to tell. You're very admired by a lot of people. So tell me what happened three years ago and how has that changed your life? So very briefly, um, I had a storybook marriage, two extraordinary children, raised them in suburbia, moved to New York. Life was just wonderful. 38 years married. Um, My son, four weeks before his wedding, uh, leapt off his building and took his life. He was 34 years old. He was a bright star, charismatic, loving, big, extraordinary boy. Um, He was one of the lights in my life. Six months later, my husband was diagnosed with a virulent cancer that was eight weeks from diagnosis to death, exactly six months apart. I lost both my son and my husband. Wow. I can't imagine. So how did you, I mean, did you know anyone else that this happened to, or, you know, how did you get through it? That's, that is an extraordinary question because there are so many times that I walk around and what runs through my head is I'm the first. I'm the first of, I have a very, very large supportive family and a wonderful group of friends. And it must get out there that that has brought me through so much Mm -hmm. having strength of my family and friends who have suffered a loss as much as I have with my son and my husband. They have been everything to me, but I do have to tell you that I have a daughter that is beyond incredible. Mm-hmm. She's my mate, my soulmate, my best friend, my light. And um, we are very parallel in our thinking. So she has been really a rock for me. Um, I am the first to be widowed of my friends and family. And I feel like I'm forging a new path. Don't wish this on anybody, but I hope that I can make it easier for people to come after me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How do you get through it? You want to live. You want to live. I want to live. I want to live to the fullest. I've made that decision. And I think that one of the things that has brought me through it is that I have choices that I can choose to get out there and date and meet new people and love again. I can decide to not do that as people do. I can try new things. I can try to self-actualize. And I have chosen what I consider to be the positive sides of that, doing things that I had dreamed about, never thought I would, and forging new territory, finding out how someone else looks at me and talks to me and touches me and speaks to me and the excitement that comes with that. Yeah. I give you so much credit because I've always thought about that. You know, how do people move on after their spouse, after they lose their spouse? And I think your outlook is amazing. And I know that you have um, a saying that you go by a certain phrase. And when I read that and I heard about it, I thought, this is great. Tell everybody what that is. It's so funny because you said how you move on. I don't move on. I move forward. And I will say that I'm crediting that to a group called Modern Loss, um, a speaker that I heard talk about that once. And I decided that that was actually my mantra. I'm not going to erase my son and my husband. I'm not going to take them out of my lives, try to forget them or try to replace them. I keep them with me. I keep them on my shoulder. And I know that because of them, I am who I am. Mm -hmm. And they come forward with me. And I think some people may look at that and say, wow, that's a little strange. It's not strange. Erasure is to me a horrible thing. I had a wonderful past that I want to remember. Mm -hmm. So I bring all of the positive aspects 
with me. And that moving forward is for me and for the people that I speak to much healthier. Absolutely. So now let's talk about the dating game because (laughs) you are in Manhattan, you are dating, you are back out there, which I give you so much credit for. Number one, not just because of your situation, but just because dating in general is not easy, is not easy. And I've discovered that men at any age are not easy. And so I have the perspective of dating men in their 20s and 30s and 40s and now married to a man in his early 50s. And I'm just curious, what has your experience been uh, with being back out there? And, And how does this compare to dating, you know, all those years ago that you dated? Well, I'm going to say men are men are men. Yeah, <laughs> and they don't change 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. They don't change. And I will say that women are from Venus and men are from Mars mm-hmm. and we're very different animals. Um, let me let me address, first of all, that, um, again, as I mentioned, I referenced my daughter before. She was extremely supportive in this process. And after a year of not going to a party, not going to a wedding, not going to a celebration, feeling nauseous at the thought. She and I were walking down Broadway one day and she told me that um, someone that she was talking to for therapy said it would be really healthy to date online, that it's really um, like a job interview. And Mm -hmm. we started to chat and I started to realize that this conversation wasn't for her. It was for me. So after about 14 months, I went back to my apartment and I did the prerequisite, set up the apps with her help. Mm -hmm. and, And as I say, let the games begin. I always thought that introduction would be the best way to meet a man, particularly for me, but that wasn't happening. Very few people want to put themselves out there. Very few people want to make that connection for you. They feel that there'll be a responsibility, which is so silly because I will fix anybody up at any opportunity Right? because no one holds you accountable. Sure. They're just grateful that you did it. And if I could put that out there, like if you know people who you think would have the chemistry, go for it. Nobody ever resents you for a failed relationship. That's right. But I did go on the dating apps and had some of the funniest experiences that I have had in my life. Um, I've recanted about the um, ex-celebrity husband who talked about her the entire night at the Lincoln. Oh yeah. I've talked about the man who said he's 65 and he was really about 79 and really wanted (laughs) a mother for his seven-year-old child that he had with a 40-year-old woman that he didn't marry. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. The man who, after sending me pictures, I thought resembled a weasel. And when I met him for a drink, found me neither attractive or interesting from the moment I walked in. Uh-huh. Um, I could I could go on and on. Um, at the end of a couple months of this, where I was recanting to my Scotty dog every night and laughing and realizing that washing my face, brushing my teeth, getting into my beautiful bed with Netflix, whether it was, you know, the Rose family from Schitt's Creek or the midwives from London was a better way for me. (laughs) I gave a really good company. I did learn a lot about myself and I learned to be happy. I learned to be content by myself. I learned to entertain myself. Um, I learned that there were rituals that I could adopt that would make my life smoother Saturday nights. If I didn't have anything to do, I live right near the 68th Street movie theater, go to an eight o'clock movie, get out at 10, walk home, walk the dog. My Saturday night was over and I got to see a movie. Right, right. Which was very effective. Yes. That led me to being able to go to the theater by myself, having dinner by myself, doing lots of things that I didn't think I could do alone that I can because I was my own best company. Yeah. 
shortly after I deleted my profile and I deleted the app, I go all in, I delete mm-hmm. it all. Right. Um, a friend of mine called me and did make an introduction. I stayed with that person through COVID for about two years. We became, um, we had a lot in common intellectually and culturally. Um, we became really good friends at the end of that relationship. And what that taught me was that whatever people put on you emotionally, when you're in this new game of dating, I'm sorry to use the word game, but that's how it's frequently Mm -hmm. referenced of dating and meeting new people. You have to let people own their own issues and not take them on yourself. If someone cares more about you than you do them, you're not inadequate. You just have to let them deal with their own emotions. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge growth process for me. That relationship did end and we are very good friends Uh, in common. We are very good friends. Um, I was fortunate enough to be introduced to someone else again recently. And um, I am with him and we have a lovely relationship. Um, I don't look to the future. You know, when you are my age, I'm in my early sixties, I was widowed at 59, 60. Um, you're not looking at DNA anymore. You're not looking at genetics. Those aren't the issues. Um, oftentimes you aren't looking at finance that depends, you know, where you are in your life, but you're not looking to grow this life together. You're just looking to enjoy the moment. And that's something that if I could tell people go in it for today, Don't look what's going to happen in five years, 10 years, because being widowed at 59, 60, I had no idea that that was going to happen. And in all your profound loss can be divorce. It can be parent. It can be child. It can be sibling. It can be husband. It's a lot of things. So when you are in that stage of profound loss, it hurts. Finding happiness is what I suggest people do. And it's not laying on the street, you have to go make it for yourself. Mm -hmm. That's finding things that will make you ultimately happy things that were on your bucket list, things that you never thought you could do or things that you really, um, understand, make you a fuller person. Right. All excellent advice. So we have about three minutes left. So I have to ask you, so having dated all of these men not all of these, but you know, a a wide variety and types of men, types of men, you, you've, you've met a lot of different characters. I will say, uh, what advice would you have for men who would date in their fifties and over? What would you tell them if they want to impress a woman? Wow. (laughs) No one's ever asked me to look at it through their eyes. I suppose, um, take it easy. Take it easy on a woman, Mm -hmm. respect her past as she will respect your past. Um, Be kind. I think that kindness and civility, you can do whatever you want in life if you do it with kindness and civility. So be conscious of how other people feel and be kind. Mm -hmm. All right. So here's another one for you. Do you feel that women have to settle for a so-so sex life or should they take charge? Oh, absolutely not. There should be zero settling. There are many people who have reached the second half of relationships who are very involved in their sex lives and can be vital and exciting. I had a friend tell me her mom remarried 
very successfully after her father, after her father died, when, when her mom was 60. Mm-hmm. And she used to say that her stepfather and her mother made everybody young in the room feel inadequate because they were always holding hands and gazing at each other and looking at each other and, and, and touching each other, not inappropriately. Right. And made all the young, younger married people feel inadequate. And I think that that's something that when you get into a relationship more mature that you can have, you can have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. (laughs) And for real, right. (laughs) Nobody should have to settle. And there are a lot of people out there who are very sexually active and, and very interested. That's great to hear. And so the men at any age, do you think that they are good lovers overall? Do you find that men are interested in themselves a lot or are they generous both in the bedroom and out? I think they're incredibly generous because I think that a man that is sexually interested at an older age is definitely more confident and, um, and more willing to please. And I think that that's a really, really important point. And I think that any man that, that has that attitude becomes far less egotistical and much more interested in their partner. Yeah. Oh, Susan Warner, you'll have to come back on the show again, because I really feel that you are not only a great inspiration, but you have a lot of perspective and you have a lot of perspective on moving on and on dating in general and just being happy. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Welcome back to Passport Mommy. I'm Michelle Gerson and I love having authors on this show. I think they have such a story. They're so intriguing. And so today I'm so happy to have with me William Butte White II. He is an amazing man. He has quite a background. And he teamed up with the author Christopher Totten to write a book about his life, an entrepreneur's tale of love, life, and business. It's called A Summer Classic, The Butte White Story. Thank you so much for being here today. Michelle, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So tell me, you have quite the background. Let's start from the beginning about your life. And at 28 years old, you left your job. Tell, tell me it all. Well, my, my, my great-grandfather started a company. Uh, he was governor and senator of the state. And he had started a company called Avondale Mills, which had like 6,000 employees. Which it, it was a Fortune 500 at that time. And so I decided that I would like to be president of that. And then I got in and I was the first one in the third generation to get in. I was like, okay, great. Got a shot here. And then all my cousins came in after him. I'm like, this is going to be a bloodbath. I, I need to start trying to figure out what I really want to do with my life. And I was calling on small entrepreneurs that were making more than the CEO of the company was. I was like, well, you know, that seems like a pretty good life. And so I left and I bought part of a small company. And this is the beginning of my MBA in mistakes. I make, I make this mistake of buying part of a small company. It's a disaster. I'm in there nine months. I'm like, I got to get out of here. This is crazy. You know, they just used took my money and uh, it just went in to pay payroll and stuff. And it really didn't help the company very much. <clears throat> so I, I left and started my own company. I started a sales rep company. And, and it was a, for the whole United States. I didn't know a lot, but I knew what I'd learned at the small time I was with this company. The company I was with was in furniture, so that got me in the furniture business. And then I'm in, I'm, I ended up setting up a territory in the Southeast for myself, and I'm in Mississippi one day and meet somebody. He says, you really ought to get in the outdoor business. We're opening a big factory in Atlanta. 
And I drove over there the next day and got the line and started selling out their furniture. I was like, you know what? After I did that from 1980 to 1990, I was like, I don't really like anything I sell. I wonder if people would like what I like. I'm a baby boomer. There's lots of baby boomers. Mm-hmm. And so I started making product I like for myself, which at that time was white painted wooden furniture. And then it worked so well that I had to change the name of my company. And the receptionist was answering the phone, the Vista Corporation, which was the name of the company. I had started four or five different companies to try to get out of this repping business and get something that I could really put my teeth into. And one of those was Summer Classics. And she comes in my office one day and says, Hey, Mr. White, I answered the phone to this corporation, but pretty much every time I do, they say, is this summer classics? And I went, okay, well, when you go back to your office, answer the phone summer classics. And I kind of went, okay, I'm going with this. And got out of all those other things I was involved in and concentrated on that. And it's been, you know, straight uphill from there. It's been, there have been some, the book kind of goes through a lot of very difficult situations like the MBA mistakes I made in the beginning, there's lots of those. Like I made a $30 million mistake one time. It kind of walks through that. That's one of the things. Mm-hmm. But all the support I had during the process and then my children and, you know, what happened to me uh, almost died in, in 2013. So that was a really critical part of the book. And what, what happened when I died is, well, I say I died. I didn't, I didn't actually close my eyes and die. Mm-hmm. I was get a signal to your brain that you're going to die. And just like, you got a few minutes here, dude, say whatever you're going to say, cause we're out of here. And so I did that. And, and then I, after I came back, I was like, okay, I shouldn't be alive. What am I doing here? I get a signal. You, you got to write this book. And I really wrote it for my kids, but it's getting such, it's sort of like, it's a wonderful life. It's like, a, mm-hmm. except I didn't try to kill myself, you know, like right. Stuart did. But I almost died. I think it's good. So you decided to write this story for your kids and then, you know, it's, it's gone further from there. How did you connect with Christopher Taunton to write this book? Well, there's a, there's a, a friend of mine, Larry Taunton. I was on his board, uh, the Fixed Point Foundation, and he was a writer. He's written a bunch of books. He's a great writer. And I was meeting with him. I was like, I can't, I've, I've had like five people write a chapter and you know, some of them were full of cuss words and I just said, that's not me. And I don't, you know, I really need to find somebody to, to work on. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. That's for me. And he said, hey, I'll do it, but I got to get my son to write. I'm writing a book now. I'll get him to do it and I'll edit it. He's getting out of seminary. He's got the time. And he literally spent a year with me interviewing all the characters, which if you go through the book, there's lots of characters. 
I say there's a there's angels, uh, hookers, and cattle prods in there. So yeah, it's <laughs> a lot like of a buck. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, not hookers with me. Yeah, but <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. So tell me, what was the most impactful event of your life? Well, probably getting married to my wife ended up being that. I didn't know it at the time. You know, when you get married, you're in love and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this. And, but it really, her life is the real meaning for me. And it's, I certainly express a book. I had one of my friends read it at the beginning, the guy that was just pushing me to write it. Sure. And he he said, "Well, I love the business stuff, but I'm not crazy about the mush." I was like, "Well, well, that's for the girl. That's for your wife." And you know, the, the women. It seems like if you read the reviews, it's getting lots of five star, twenty two five star reviews. Of like, I didn't write it for reviews, but I'm excited that people really like it. Yeah, because it works and all. It's me. I mean, it's not. It's not like I'm a great businessman and hit this is how you do it. It's like it's very difficult to have a, a business and grow it from zero to a hundred million relatively fast. And we were we were doubling every three and a half years since I started the business. So you're just constantly the thing when you're doubling like that so quick, you're constantly looking for money. So you're always talking to banks about how to increase your credit line. Get, that was my passport, using your word. Mm-hmm. A passport would get a new bank that would give me an additional ten million dollars to grow the business. Right. right. So, how did it become the success that it is today? How did Summer Classics become the success? Well, you know, as I started, you, yeah, I started. The one thing I didn't realize is you need six characteristics to be an entrepreneur, and those are visionary, passionate, driven risk-taker, problem-solver, and responsible. You've got to have all those. To be, I didn't know that I had that, but I was like, I started working, and I was like, man, if you don't have all these, you're not going to make it. I really got that from the guy who wrote the EOS program, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. So I think those that's what's really helped me, especially the driven part. I'm like, I used to say to my wife, for like, Whoever gave me this driven gene, I'm going to kill them because this is driving me crazy. You probably got that because you have your own radio show. <laughs> yeah, no, it's always, it's a good gene to have. It's good to have drive. It's good to have something to motivate you and to want to push further. But, you know, a big inspiration for you, I hear, is your father, was your father. So tell me about him and the role that he played in your life. I don't know um, what your parents were like, but my father was on the board of like five uh, Fortune 500, Northwest Airlines, Avondale Mills, Vulcan Materials, all these big companies. Like, well, I'm never going to be that. Mm-hmm. And so he was a big attorney. And I said, well, I'm thinking, you know, think about what I was going to do. I said, he said, I think you're a really great salesman. You don't want to be an attorney. It used to be fun. We were just doing deals and buying airplanes and stuff. Now it's just everybody wants to sue everybody. Mm-hmm. You're a great salesman. Go be a salesman. And so that's what I did. I started selling fabric in New York City in 1972. And then, then you know, I, that progression that I gave you. Right, right. Amazing. And so your book speaks about your struggle with blood clots in your lungs. What did that battle teach you? Well, I kind of walked you through the hospital scene. Um, um, I was in... Uh, I went to China 29 times, 
So when you're in the tube, as they say, for a long time, your, your blood is not moving around. You're supposed to get up and walk around. It's kind of hard to do that. Right. But, uh, yeah, especially if you're on a 14 and a half hour flight. And so you're, you had this tendency to, to have blood clots. And I had a lot of blood clots in my leg, and then they went to my lungs. And I, one in your lungs will kill you, and I had five in my lungs. Yeah. And you could have a blood clot in your lungs and your heart in your kidney and your liver or your brain, any of those will kill you. So that was a big part of it. Incredible. And I mean, I mean, what would you say from your business aspects and your health, from everything that you've been through in your life, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to those who are starting out in their career? Maybe they're unsure of what to do, how to be successful. Well, I'd say don't burn a bridge. There's a tendency in business to burn bridges. You know, you get mad at somebody and something happens. You never know that maybe you're going to be that person. Right. And then building uh, relationships. I think relationships in life are the most important, whether it's your spouse or your friends or business associates. I think those relationships. And those have really paid off for me. If you look at the part where I'm talking about the 2008 recession, so I owed Royal Bank of Scotland uh, $20 million, and they were kind of mm-hmm. trying to get all their money back, you know. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then went to my Chinese supplier in Hong Kong, and he said, don't worry, I've got your back. Just don't pay me. I was like, okay, like ever? <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, pay me when you can, but I've got your back. And so just pay, you know. Just keep buying. I'm going to keep making stuff and shipping you. I was like, wow. So wow. then I started going to other suppliers. And I realized I had these great relationships. And even my domestic suppliers will give me really long terms, you know, like 120 day terms. You don't have to pay us for 120 days. And then if you get to the 120 days, if you can't pay us, just call us. We'll work with you. And I was like, okay, wow. So I ended up getting several million dollars that way, close to, close to $7 million mm-hmm. doing so making those phone calls. I was like, yeah. wow, save yeah. the company. So that was a critical part. I sort of, yeah, that's relationship building. Exactly, exactly. And that is so important. Like you said, you could go to school and learn, learn, learn. But it really is about relationships and networking. And like you said, not burning bridges. And I feel the relationships you hold with your family really transcend into the workplace as well. And just how you are as a person. Yeah, yeah, I had a really tight family. I'm still close to my sisters. We go to lunch or dinner all the time. Oh, I have, only one lives, all of them live within two miles of me. Oh, except for yeah. one of them. And she'll just come home, you know, she'll come right. home just to have dinner with us. So that's yeah. really kind of cool. Oh, that's really, really nice. So, what do you hope that readers will take away from your life story? Those things, if they want to be an entrepreneur, it says six things I talked to you about. And, and then also um, something about building relationships, building, being able to build relationships with people, keep those with. It's really hard because I have a lot of friends, but I have to work them. I mean, it's not like they're not going to call me and say, hey, you want to go to lunch today? It's, a, it's usually the other way around. So you, you really have to work on your relationships with people. It's the same way in business. You know, you just, yeah. your best relationships and I think they'll get a lot of that. My relationship with my wife is a really critical part of it. She's, she isn't pushy, but she is the one that was always behind me going, you can do this, you can do this. So I think that was a really critical part of, uh, of my success. 
Yeah. Yeah. You have to have good people behind you who support you. I think that's very important. You and I are developing right now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So what's next for you? So I went in my CFO's office the other day and and I I said, you know, I'm kind of at the end of my career. I kind of said, I said, you know, I think I'd like to be CFO. And she looked at me like, scared. (laughs) No, my chief financial officer, chief fishing officer. I'm a pretty good fisherman. (laughs) I like that. I think that's a great yeah. idea. We were just talking with somebody in the other segment who talked all about how he goes fishing before work and, and the benefits of living the life where he lives. And so I think that is a great idea. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me today, William U. White II. I really cannot wait to check out your book, A Summer Classic, The Bue White Story. So motivational, so inspirational. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're listening to Passport Mommy. I'm Michelle Gerson, and I'm so glad you're here with me today because I cannot believe it is already holiday season and we are starting our holiday shopping. And did you know that there is a way that we can give not only to the people that we're purchasing a gift for, but also to those at the St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. So today I am so happy to have with me Carmen Ordonia. She's a lifestyle expert and television host. She's here to talk to us about ways we could shop this holiday season that help more than just our children or whoever we're buying the gifts for, that we can help other people's children in great lengths through the St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. And they have their official holiday gift guide, which is out. And basically, there are all of these stores that are partnering with St. Jude's that if you buy a gift, all reasonably priced under $25, it will help support St. Jude's so that there is no child or family that ever has to pay for treatment if they should need the St. Jude's Research Hospital. Carmen, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So tell me, what is the St. Jude Holiday Gift Guide and how does it work? Absolutely. And you explained it very well. You know, this holiday season, consumers can support St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which is really leading the way the world understands, treats, and defeats childhood cancer through the St. Jude Holiday Gift Guide. So this guide includes several gifts, many under $25 from some of your favorite stores and brands. Proceeds from these items go back to support St. Jude and their life-saving mission. You know, as many of us know, families never receive a bill for treatment, travel, housing, or food because all a family should ever have to worry about is helping their child live. So what better way to get your holiday shopping done, start a little bit early this year, and then also find a way to give back. Yes, absolutely. And I just love that all of these retailers are participating. What are some of the participating retailer brands? Yeah, so more than 60 brands are participating this year. It's the St. Jude Annual Thanks and Giving Holiday Campaign. You have brands and companies such as Best Buy, Chili's, Domino's, AutoZone, Loft, Dollar General, just to name a few. And then also whether you're shopping online or in-store, you can also consider making a donation. You know, sometimes when you go to the store, when you're uh, checking out at the cashier, they'll ask you if you want to make a donation. So very easy way uh, to do that as well. And any amount really makes a huge difference. Yeah, it really does. And I love hearing everything that St. Jude's does around the holiday time, because should you ever need to bring your child or you know of somebody else who is battling childhood cancer, you're absolutely right. There is nothing that you should have to worry about besides 
getting the child better and giving them support. So what are your top picks for gifts through the holiday gift guide? Absolutely. Well, here we have, and I know you can see me there. So these adorable plushes, these are from Kay and Jared Jewelers. They're absolutely cozy, perfect for your loved ones to snuggle up with. My daughter, as soon as she saw them, she wanted to grab it and hug it. These retail for $14.99 each. You can choose between a plush puppy or a plush bear, and no less than $7 goes back to support St. Jude. Also, this festive spatula is from William Sonoma. What I love about this spatula is that it's inspired by artwork from St. Jude patients. This one retails for $15.95 and 25% of the proceeds go back to support St. Jude. Also, home goods have these adorable snow globes, the perfect addition to your holiday decor. 50% of the proceeds from these limited edition snow globes go back to support St. Jude families. Also, Denny's, if you stop by Denny's and order off their kids menu, they're donating five cents for any purchased items. And also, if you love personalized gifts, I don't know about you, but I love giving them. I love receiving them. I feel, you know, they're just so personal. Mark and Graham is your go-to place. They have this beautiful canvas tote, as well as this ornament from a silhouette. Um, and you can actually have it customized um, for your loved ones silhouette along with their name and no less than 20% is donated to St. Jude as well. So lots of great gift ideas, gifts that give back and the whole entire list is actually on their website. And I love it that it's gifts that give back because a lot of times you ask somebody what they want for the holidays and they say, I don't need anything. Well, now you can tell them, well, you do need something because you're in turn helping St. Jude's. Perfect gifts for family, for friends, um, you know, even for perhaps the teachers, for uh, your kids' school, and the whole entire list. You can check that out at stjude.org forward slash thanks and giving. The complete list is, is there. Thank you so much, Carmen Odonias. I really appreciate you joining me today. And thank you for listening. I hope you have a great week and I'll talk to you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.